1: Welcome back to Blog Talk Radio. Here on the catch, uh, the catch of the day, our Tuesday night broadcast. Uh, this is our favorite, our favorite thing. I think, at least me personally, I love, I love this show. I love having people on that I'm very fascinated about and interested in, in that, hearing their thoughts. And always we're talking. Uh, almost always about Christians in the marketplace. what does it mean to be a Christian in the world, in the real world in which we live and how do we put that all together? How do we think about the world um, uh, and uh, how how do we how do we mix our faith with uh, the way we live? and uh, so that's that's what this is all about and uh, very excited tonight uh to uh to have someone I'm just just getting to know and uh but I was fascinated when i ran- uh, come on, kind of stumbled on onto a documentary called uh postcards from babylon and i i I popped into the first few minutes and the very right off the top he, he talks about how we here in America instead of being like a, uh, a biblical Israel, we really should probably think about ourselves as a, uh, a biblical Babylon. And that would, in a sense, then make us exiles. And, uh, boy, he had me from there. Because I've, for a long time, and, uh, and I've been real concerned about this rise of, what we now call christian nationalism this whole idea that's been going around for about 30 or 40 years about as soon as the uh moral majority and the christian coalition started gaining strength and christian radio started uh getting a lot of uh uh, uh populace and and uh you, you know that the whole idea that we've got to get america back that's what we, we we've got to do as if if it's almost more important to get America back than to get people saved, and uh, uh, that was that's been a deep concern for for me, and I've watched this happen, and it's 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 gotten stronger and stronger to tell you the truth, and uh, now we got a name for it. So uh, Brian Zond is a pastor in Saint Joseph, Missouri, a church called Word of Life Church. And he's done a lot of thinking in this area uh, for a number of years. So I'm very fascinated to have him on the show and to hear some of his thoughts. So please welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Brian Zahn. Welcome, Brian.
0: Thank you, John. It's a joy to be yeah. with you.
1: Yeah, we go back. How far do you go back? Do you remember? Were you involved in the Jesus movement at all, Brian? Or are you? I was.
0: I was very involved. But I was. <laughs> I would. I would be. I would be about as young as you could be, yeah. and be considered some kind of leader in the Jesus movement. But I was. I'm 63 now. Um, okay. So I was just talking with someone today. You know, someone asked me, "Did you know Keith Green?" i said, oh, yeah, I know him well. And I I first met him when I booked him in our coffee house. You know what I mean by coffee houses, John, when I talk about the Jesus movement. uh, The Catacombs Coffee House in St. Joseph, Missouri. And so uh, that's how I got to know Keith Green. And so I, of course, you know, the Jesus movement was really a music-centric movement. I mean, the Spirit of God was there. Jesus was there. But what really carried the banner were the musicians. That's and right. so that's how I knew all these people. You know, that's I yeah. some of still know to this day Phil Cagie and Paul Clark and wow. know, people like that that I just was very close to and yeah. and uh,
1: wow. so we, yeah
0: that's my roots yeah. are Jesus movement and I and I own those roots I'm I'm happy to have that kind of
1: <laughs> spiritual yeah. Um, yeah pedigree in my really? life. It's about time we made this connection because those are all our people too. Um, Paul's right, very yeah. Paul Clark is very much involved with us here, and yeah, uh, I, I talk with Paul after, Clark probably every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we <laughs> have a little he's coal- in my, coalition. We're both, we're both in the same area, right? I figured, yeah, and yeah. we've got a little coalition of some of those early musicians, and uh, we're just trying to figure out uh, what to do with them. You know, we're uh, we want to. We, we're very concerned about millennials and and reaching that younger generation. So they're going to mm-hmm. help us out with that um, because yeah. the millennials are very interested in in the, in the Jesus movement. They're kind of they're, they're, they ask a lot of questions about it, and uh, yeah. that's that's kind of fun. In fact, uh, yeah. Well, enough of that. I want to hear your thoughts. Um, let's get right down to. What we now call Christian nationalism. What is it, mm-hmm. uh, and and briefly, uh, where did it come from, and and when did it first start showing up? You think in, in evangelical Christianity? Let's start with what. It oh is. man, that's
0: a lot. That's, that's a lot of questions. questions right there.
1: I know. I know.
0: Um, but let me just start. Let me just. Kind of just start, and when I've gone too long, you can jump in and redirect me. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, and this is something, John, that I have been talking about, writing about, speaking about, preaching about for, oh, I would say about eighteen years. That I've really, and and it's it's strange because at every moment I've always thought that we were at the apex of this phenomenon of Christian nationalism, but Mm it just keeps. It just keeps getting worse. So, okay, what do we mean? I I would say that Christian nationalism is a heretical theology that espouses an idea that God achieves his redemptive purposes through, necessarily, through the apparatus of the state, including its military, rather than through Jesus Christ, his cross, and his church. Uh, Christian nationalism then imagines that there can be this nice, easy conflation between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of Christ. So Jesus told Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. It's for this world, but it's not from this world. It doesn't come through the political and military machinations of this world. So Jesus was very clear to that on that point with with Pontius Pilate. In fact, he said, he said, if my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting. But they're not fighting. And right. Christian nationalism, though, comes along and says, oh, no, no, no. Uh, the kingdom of Christ is indeed from this world. So that in the end, Christian nationalism is a means of giving primary allegiance to the state while pretending to still be Christian. I would say, if you want me to be a bit provocative, which is not hard to get me to be that way, uh, mm-hmm. Christian nationalism wears a Christian mask while confessing we have no king but Caesar, which is exactly you know, what the Sanhedrin said to Pontius Pilate. Mm-hmm. But here, here – that, that's, that's maybe a bit uh, academic. Let me mm-hmm. give you an example of what it is and what's wrong with it that I think most people can relate to. Okay. You'll oftentimes see in front of evangelical churches, they, for whatever reason, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but they want to have some flags out in front mm-hmm. of their church. And sometimes, you know, maybe they only have one flagpole. You know, I don't know. They, they're too expensive to have two flagpoles. <laughs> so they'll have, they want to fly an American flag and a quote, so-called Christian flag, which, you know, is, is a 20th century mm-hmm. creation that is Clearly a conflation between Christian iconography and American symbolism, but we'll just set that aside. We'll just take it at face value that it represents Christian faith. And so typically, especially churches that would uh, openly say, yes, yes, we're for Christian nationalism, Uh, they'll have these flags. But if they only have one flag, though, how do they always, without exception, arrange them, always with the American flag on top? And then the Christian flag, subordinate to it. That is a moment, John, of unintended truth-telling on the church lawn. And look, flags are purely symbolic; they don't serve any practical value. They're, and so, what is the symbolic message? The message is our huh. primary allegiance is to the United States, with a secondary allegiance to Christ. Now, they don't know that. Uh, because that creates too much cognitive dissonance to recognize that. But that's, that's why those flags are arranged that way. And so I've asked them, so, I said, why do you find them like that? I mean isn't – don't we seek first the kingdom of God? Isn't Jesus Lord? And they said, well, no, he doesn't really mean that. I said, okay, then switch them. Reverse them. Put the Christian flag on top and the American flag underneath. Oh, we couldn't do that. I said, why not? Well, they said it's illegal. Well, it's not illegal. But so what is it worth? <laughs> I mean so what? <laughs> Let it be illegal then but, and break the law. But, I mean, it's not illegal, actually. You can do what you want. Uh, so that is a moment. I mean, of course, I, the, maybe the real reason is, If they did that next Sunday, nobody would show up to church (laughs) or they would show up to church to vote the pastor out or something like that. So that's what we're talking about, Christian nationalism, where the real object of devotion is the nation, but you want to imagine that God is also, you know, you have this language, God is raising up America. No, God raised up Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead, and that's what God raised up. America is just the latest in a very long line of empires that rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. And when I say empire, Uh I'm not throwing out some just empty pejorative. What I mean by empire is empires are rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their own agenda. And this theme of empire is throughout Scripture. It's it's throughout – from Genesis quite literally to Revelation. As we read our Bibles, we discover that God loves nations with their ethnicity, their culture, their language, their diversity, all of that. But what God is opposed to is Babylon, is Egypt, is Rome, is empire because what empires claim for themselves, a divine right to rule manifest destiny to shape history is the very thing that God has promised to his son Jesus Christ so empires become a rival to the sovereignty of God uh but they always carry with them a religious component so anyway that's my that's right. my I'm, I'm initial salvo
1: <laughs> okay okay um ever- it seems to me though Brian, uh that you know saying that uh the the state is is over um the uh the the church or uh something like that uh you know it, it seems to me people if you actually ask them, I doubt they would agree that that's what they believe. No, I'm, I'm sure it, you're
0: correct in that.
1: Isn't that right? And, but but there's but, certain... but they get
0: around it because they believe there's an easy relationship between. We'll just keep it domestic right here. Yeah. They just believe that there's a almost a symbolic relationship between the goals of the kingdom of Christ and the uh, okay. goals of the United States of America that they that they easily conflate. Here's here's a thought experiment though. Think about this. And this is how this would imagine. Imagine that Jesus Christ is is uh, invited to give an address to the joint session of Congress. (laughs) You know, just imagine that. So you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, they would love that, right? And so Jesus is introduced. He gets up to speak. He's given a great you know round of applause, Democrats and Republicans alike. And then Jesus begins to speak. Now, what would he say? Well, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. Let's just, let's just assume that he delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Look, I mean by the time he gets five minutes into this speech, I promise you that the senators and the congressmen are all very uncomfortable. Because the fact is the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of this world have virtually nothing in common. And that the ways that God brings about his purposes through co-suffering love, through sacrifice, through turning the other cheek, through going the extra mile, laying your life down for another, is antithetical to the way that a either ancient or contemporary empire does its business day by day. And so, uh, you know, America is today celebrating. Um, the, the 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 news that uh, the head of, uh, of Al Qaeda was uh, killed by a drone strike in Afghanistan. Well, the man played for high stakes, and you know he went into the game and and he got killed playing the game because Jesus said you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But does Jesus endorse that? I mean, does Jesus you know applaud and say yes, yes, yes? This is what we no. That's his kingdom is other than that. It's different. His kingdom always comes by the cross and never by the sword. And what what we have in Christian nationalism is an idea that the two can comfortably coexist as one thing, the cross and the sword. No, they are two fundamentally different ways of relating to the world and living our lives. But here's the thing. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the 19, early 1980s with Jerry Falwell, the Moral Majority, Pat Robertson, Christian Coalition, and the entrance of evangelical Christians into politics, which hitherto they had been largely apolitical, but they, right. they begin right. to go into politics. And, and the, we can talk about that, but I, I just want to stress that this phenomenon of Christian nationalism isn't in no way uniquely American. It goes all the way back. To in the early fourth century of the, of the of the Christian Church, mm-hmm. when you had the emergence of a so-called Christian emperor in, in Constantine, um, the, the legend, and I regard it as nothing else. The legend is there was there was a, a civil war was going on. This is factual, and this general Constantine was hoping to become the next Caesar, and there was to be a decisive battle the battle for the Milvian Bridge, and I think it was the year 312, and the legend is, that we get from Eusebius, is that on the eve of the battle, Constantine has a vision of a cross in the sky with these words, in this sign, you shall conquer, and then he applies the cross, the symbol of the cross, to their weapons of war and they prevail in the battle, and he goes on and becomes emperor. Well, the problem with that is that in that little aphorism, in this sign you shall conquer uh, mm. conquer is the euphemism for kill and so suddenly now we are seeing the cross turned into the sword and mm. so Constantine became an emperor and he moves to make he moves to give the church um, favored status and in short order it becomes the state church of the Roman Empire I don't fault my brothers and sisters from the early 4th century for going down that road. There had just been a terrible persecution under Diocletian, and all of a sudden there's this emperor who apparently claims to be a Christian, although he did refuse baptism until he was on his deathbed. Because I think even Constantine understood that you can't really be an emperor and a follower of Jesus simultaneously. Um, Hmm. But that was a mistake. That was a mistake. The church—it was probably an inevitable mistake. But look, what what it does is it puts us on this trajectory, where, you know, something like 16 centuries later, you have millions of Christians in Europe killing one another in the name of their national allegiance. And I'm talking, right. I'm talking about World War One, which, which you know, World War Two. What is? It? It's just it's the continuation of World War One. And where, where does World War I come from? It comes from Christian nationalism, where you have these Christian nations possessed by a nationalistic spirit, each believing that they are the ones that should rule Europe, and they're the ones that should set the cultural agenda, and they go to war, and it's the beginning of mechanized warfare, and you have, for the first time in history a war, where millions and millions of people are killed, and who's doing the killing? Christians. Who are they killing? Other Christians. And so oh. the legacy of the trajectory of Christian nationalism began with Constantine in the early 4th century, arrives in the 20th century with millions of Christians killing one another in the name of their nationalism. And that's a failure of Christianity, right? I mean, I mean, could we just at least suggest that followers of Jesus shouldn't kill one another over their national allegiance? That would seem like a fairly modest proposal to me. <laughs>
1: Oh, boy. Wow. Well, what are we going to do, Brian? What, uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, look. It's gaining gaining so, so. a lot of so, – what's your average – The the uh, our average follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, what are we going to do?
0: We're going to follow Jesus. I know that sounds like a cliché that sounds like yeah. it's empty, yeah. but, but, but I don't – but it's not. Um, you know, I have just thrown a bomb into your program. I get that because you know we we got a half an hour. <laughs> We're talking about all this. This is not how I tell pastors how to address this. I you tell it slant, you take it slowly, and you let Jesus mm-hmm. do the heavy lifting. I remember years ago doing a six month series on the Sermon on the Mount, and every Sunday. I promise you, every Sunday, someone would come up to me, quite alarmed, and would say, "Are you saying thus and so?" And I would say, "I'm doing my best not to say anything. I'm just trying to help us hear what Jesus is saying. What do you think Jesus is saying?" I even had, during the course of that sermon, I did have one person, uh, yeah, you know, a learned man, intelligent, and it was I was in Matthew five, and I was talking about, you know, I I was talking Jesus is talking about. Uh, How we relate to uh, evil people and how Mm -hmm. we turn the other cheek and how we don't use violence to oppose their, you know, evilness. Mm -hmm. And he came up to me and he said, yeah, but the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, despite the fact that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth Mm -hmm. for a tooth. But I say to you, Uh do not resist the evil man. Wow. Return good for evil. Love wow. your enemy. See, mm-hmm. how are you going to build a nation in a worldly sense around the chief ethic of love, loving your neighbor as yourself, even loving your enemies, Because the biblical te- te- the biblical test for love of God is love of neighbor. Biblical test for mm-hmm. love of neighbor is love of enemy. So – Christ has a nation, but it is his church, and it's global in its, you know, it, it's global. It, it doesn't prioritize being American over being Ugandan or whatever. Uh, Christians should understand their national allegiance as what we call a philosophical accidental. It's not part of our ontological being. It's not, that, it's not our essence. You know, accidentally I'm an American, but my essence is I'm a child of God. That, that I am a follower of Jesus, and that's what matters. If you elevate your national identity too high, then um, it's hard for you to love the whole world and to love your neighbor.
1: And again, yeah. I'm, not,
0: I'm not against patriotism. If we understand patriotism as pride of place and responsible, responsible citizenship, that's a good thing. You know, I want the Swiss mm-hmm. to be proud of being Swiss. I want Portuguese to be proud of being Portuguese. I just don't Mm -hmm. want them to become arrogant and say we should have an empire that rules the world and that God cannot get his purposes done without us. I
1: don't want that kind of language. (laughs) Wow. Um, What is – what would you say? Because, you know, we're – our community here is really an international community because of the Internet. So we've got people yeah. all over, all over the world. This isn't just America well, here. Well, well, everybody and, and, all over
0: the world's going to love what I'm saying. It's the Americans then won't like
1: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So what 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 is the danger of this kind of thinking uh, from an international point of view? What is the danger of it? Uh, um, well, around it, the world, it, it
0: it prevents us from becoming true peacemakers. Remember, Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Or, you know, if I wanted to paraphrase it, I would say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be involved in the family business of bringing peace. But nationalism uh, always engenders a sense of competition, rivalry, us versus them, who's superior. You know, you have you have that familiar American chant: We're number one. We're number one you know, uh, that it's hard to be a peacemaker and carry that kind of attitude. Yeah. Uh, And of course, if you combine that with bad eschatology, that, you know, uh, that we can't have peace, that there has to be yet another mega war in the Middle East before Jesus returns or some nonsense like that, then you have Christians who in effect actually believe Suspicious are the peacemakers. They're probably paving the way for the Antichrist. Come on now. We've all heard that kind of reason. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, so so doctrines and eschatologies that prevent us from, in all honesty, living the Sermon on the Mount, well, those are aberrant, and they need to be rejected.
1: Wow. Um, come on. Your church is in Missouri. Um... I know. How does this? I know. Don't think I'm in
0: Berkeley, people. I'm not in Berkeley. I'm not in Boston. I am (laughs) in St. Joseph, Red State, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. How does this go over there? Um, You know. Well, uh, I'll give you. I know we're coming to the end of our time here, but I'll give you a quick summary. I mean, I've been the pastor of this one local church for 40 years. In fact, before we went on the air, we were talking about how I got to know all of these Jesus music musicians. Maybe we'd talk uh-huh. about on the air. I can't remember now. Um, because I was I, – I, I led a coffee house called the Catacomb. Right. Well, the Catacomb was just turned yeah. into Word of Life Church. So oh. it officially became a church 40 years ago. I'm oh, still okay. just a Jesus freak, John. That's all I am. I'm just a Jesus yeah, right. freak. That's, yes, That's I don't really want to be anything – I don't want to <laughs> be anything other than that. Um all right. So – I I did lead our church beginning around 2004 away from civil religion, Christian nationalism, the idea that the role of the church is to be the religious wing of the Republican Party, all that kind of stuff. I led our church away from that at great cost. Uh, We lost about 1,000 people, and it was very heartbreaking. It was very painful, and we've been through that. We're okay, and I don't want people feeling sorry for me. I'm healed. I'm happy. We have a wonderful church. Um, at Word of Life Church, though, we are not a monolith politically. Our church has pretty much the whole spectrum of political opinion. You know, we will we'll have Trumpers. We'll have people that think AOC is the greatest person in Congress sitting in on the same pew on Sunday morning. And hmm. they say, well, how, how have you done that? Well, we've, we've prioritized talking about the kingdom of God and that Jesus is Lord and that everything is subordinate to that. And we've been able over time, not through some sort of program, but just it became our culture. We, we were able to prioritize kindness, a culture of kindness, so that at Word of Life, you don't have to – there isn't the idea that you have to hold to one particular political ideology, but there is – a culture that says, but you can't be a jerk about it. <laughs> you can't be mean-spirited about it. And so at Word of Life, people having different pub, uh, different political opinions, that's that's tolerated. That's People are fine with that. If you start being ugly and accusatory and mm. mean about it, are, oh no, that's, we're not that way here. Uh, mm. We've cultivated a culture of kindness. Mm-hmm. And so – and I've tried also to – I've tried really hard for about 18 years to get people to see the kingdom of God. But you have to rethink – if you really – once you see the kingdom of God, then you understand that only those that are absolutely dedicated to following Jesus can embody that. And the idea that a continental-sized empire could embody – The values, ethics, lifestyle of the kingdom of Christ then becomes absurd. And so Mm. at Word of Life, we don't feel like it's our task to change the world. I mean we're not – it's not our task. We're not here to change the world. We are here to be the world being changed by Christ.
1: Uh, Mm. Jesus is Mm. the
0: Savior of the world, not us. And so that takes a lot of pressure off of us, and we're not thinking, oh, my goodness, if we we don't control Congress, then how is the world going to be – we don't – it's not our job to change the world or save the world. That belongs to Jesus. Our job is simply to be the world as being transformed by Christ. Uh,
1: That's beautiful. Well put. Um, Yeah, you're right. We're getting to the end of our time, but I got one more important question because uh, we here at The Catch, we – we're really concerned about the next generation. We talk a lot about the millennials. What is Christian nationalism mostly a boomer thing? Are millennials buying it? In your view, what have you seen about that?
0: Um, that's a great question. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope it'll just die out with my generation. <laughs> but enough of us will just die off.
1: It'll be okay. I,
0: <laughs> but I'm not so. Sure. I, I'm not completely because I have seen it. Now, um, I have it – I've seen it taking root among younger people as well, so that concerns me. I will say, though, that we had this phenomenon at Word of Life, and we had it a lot, um, when around 2004, 5, 6, 7, when a lot of my peers, people my age, maybe a little older, were leaving the church over the idea that I wasn't sufficiently American enough or something like that.
1: Yeah. We
0: had the phenomenon of their adult children staying. Saying, Mom and Dad, you can leave if you want, but it's a church like this that's keeping us in Christianity. Wow. And today, you know, if if somebody and we have a large online congregation, if you if you if you, if you tune if you tune in someday or, or just go to the YouTube and look at some of our worship services, almost every young person you see, I'm talking about people in twenties, thirties Almost mm-hmm. everyone you see on the platform, among our musicians, we've got a great band and all that, uh, grew up in our church, and most of their parents have left, but they're there, and I, huh, so I, I find that hopeful and interesting. But but I'm not I'm not going to say that I think it's just as simple as the boomers die off and this isn't a problem. Like I said, it's yeah. not been around for just 40 years; it's been around for 1,700 years. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Brian. Uh, give us one last word. What do we focus on uh, to stay true to Christ in these days? I think it's very helpful
0: for us to remind ourselves that
1: Jesus is the Savior of
0: the world and that the world will be saved. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the son does not return to the father and say, father, it turns out they're far more messed up than I thought. I couldn't save the world. No, Jesus (laughs) is going to save the world. And so find peace in that and realize it's not the job of you or me or a political party or some nation state to save the world. Uh, That's going to be done by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we can take the pressure off ourselves and simply live as the people who are being saved by Jesus right now. I think that, I think we find hope and peace in moving in that direction. Beautiful,
1: beautiful. Well, Brian, I can tell we've found a new friend here at The Catch. And uh, will you come back and talk to us some i would be we glad. I always
0: want to hang out with the old Jesus freaks,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. Yeah, sure, All back. right, beautiful. Well, Brian, thank you so much. You're listening to the. To keep you thinking. Get some folks listening, tune in, hear it again. This will keep you going. Keep thinking, you guys. Come on.